0: little has changed since then so i highly recommend folks check that out and as people are now going to many folks are protesting the war already the the with i mean there's many wars happening so i should be more specific i suppose upcoming u.s led escalations against iran i think about how if yes we can all gather in the streets and we should and also if no one If no one fights the war, like, it's that's another piece of it, too, is that if people refuse to fight, then there will be no war. So I'm thinking about that as well. Obviously, easier said than done. And I'm sitting on the sidelines here, so I I recognize my my place in that. And I also really want to encourage folks to check out Sir, No, Sir, because it's a lot of what we weren't taught or didn't know about. And for for me, I should say, I didn't know a lot about it. So I highly recommend uh, folks check out that documentary. Um, also, a couple of books. There's one I'm in the middle of that I highly recommend. You can also go to Green Arcade, which is on Market Street. Street's great independent bookstore. I picked it up when they were at the Howardson Book Fair. I believe, I've lost track of time, pretty much. It was probably a few weeks ago. And the name of the book is Reclaiming Judaism from Zionism. And that's edited by Carolyn L. Karcher. And just 40 different essays... Uh, from a variety of folks and I highly recommend that book and also I wanted to recommend an audio well it's a book and an audiobook so depending on what you have the energy for or where you're at it's when they call you a terrorist by Patrice Khan colors and Asha Bandel and it is also available on the Libby app so if you have a library card you can download the Libby app and you get free audiobooks and I highly recommend that book it's really good So, wanting to put those two books out there in the universe, uh, please do pick up some books if you... If you... Please, do it. There we go. That's me being authoritative. Like, maybe if you want to. I don't know. I have a lot of talks with people about how I don't feel comfortable telling people what to do, even if it's a recommendation. However, that's the very least I can do is be like, hey, check out this great book or this great movie, and hopefully it will make your life a a little bit more rich and fulfilling. All right. So those, I think, were the um, recommendations for books and the documentary. And also I wanted to check a few other uh, updates on events that are happening tomorrow, Saturday, January 11th, at noon at 24th and Mission, there is going to be a protest against 45 and his whole stupid ass administration and so if you want to show up if you're in the bay area please do come through again that's tomorrow saturday january 11th at noon at 24th and mission there's going to be a rally into march also um shahid Buttar, who's running against nancy pelosi wanting to lend a lot of support to shahid's campaign he just stands for a lot of really good things like end of mass surveillance end of war excuse me, funding infrastructure, excuse me, a lot of good things. So, and he just really wants to push the whole conversation forward of people, you know, civil rights, basic rights, healthcare, Medicare for all. He, he stands for all of that. So if you would like to volunteer for Shahid's campaign and or learn more, please go to shahidforchange.us. And that's S-H-A-H-I-D-F-O-R-C-H-A-N-G-E.us. All right, so got those things done, and also some bad news, because we live in a capitalist country, so there's just bad news every day. (sighs) I I don't want to be—you know, I want to offer hope and also be realistic, because it's like, oh, great. So we've um, talked—there's Moms for Housing, which is a group of previously unhoused mothers in Oakland who have taken over a vacant house in West Oakland— and they have a lot of support from community. They even have some support from representatives. I say even because oftentimes elected officials can be really disappointing. Such as Libby Schaff, who is the mayor of Oakland, who has not supported them and that's really fucked up. So pretty much they're like, they have these are mothers, they have kids, and they're like, there's a vacant house, at least allow us to buy it. Let's live in here, let's buy it. It's vacant. No one's here. It seems like a no it's like a no-brainer. It's like, why shouldn't people be able to live in houses? It doesn't make any sense, especially given the the rise in homelessness in the Bay Area. So, again, they had a lot of support. However, the Wedgwood, which is the evil corporation, which owns the—they say they own the property, even though they're they're not based here in the Bay Area. It's just a fucking greedy real estate agency, pretty much. There was just a ruling I got a text uh, today that the ruling came down in favor of Wedgwood, which is really fucked up. And so there's an emergency press conference which is happening at the house today at 2 p.m. And if you are able to go, please do. It's at 2928 Magnolia Street, and that's in Oakland. Again, 2 p.m. today. And you can also find more information if you type in moms for housing. You can follow them on Twitter also, Moms the Number Four Housing. It's makes me so fucking angry. That there are clear ways that folks, I mean, if everyone had their basic needs met, the world would just be better for everyone. I don't understand how, why people argue against that and why people want to make things harder for people. I know in times in my life when I've had, when I haven't had stable housing, I'm. My self-esteem has gone down. I don't treat others as well. I don't treat myself very well. It's hard for me to get things done. It's hard to survive because I'm in survival mode. So it's hard for me to show up for myself and community as much as I would like. And when I am more taken care of and I have basic needs met, of course I can show up better. I feel better. And it's like, why don't you want, why wouldn't somebody want everyone in the world to have that? Like we have plenty of resources. There's that myth that, oh, there's not enough. There's plenty There is more vacant houses than there are people in this country. So, and especially with also with food, like so much food gets wasted. It just it's it makes me so fucking angry that people are suffering because of a few people who have a lot of wealth and a lot of greed, and then the folks who support them and the police who end up, you know, following orders and. pushing around protesters and locking people up for being poor, which is fucked up and makes everything worse for everyone. Makes me super angry. <sighs> well, there's there's my sigh. There's my way of getting it out. So again, uh, if you are able to get to Oakland today at 2 p.m., please do. Oh, yeah, it's at, let me just pull this up again. 2928 Magnolia Street in Oakland and their press conference is happening at 2 p.m. today. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to take a, a deep breath and just center myself and also recognize that uh, there are and have been for a long time folks fighting for what's right and can't let the people in positions of power win. (sighs) Okay. I have a few more news stories to get to, and I'm going to see if I can uh, pull them up at the moment here. Folks are still protesting in France. It seems like an ongoing thing. I, I read, I think it was this morning maybe, that lawyers had taken off their robes and were joining in, and a lot of folks, many, many folks are protesting in France. And... I'm no, I've, I still have a Facebook profile, but they're Facebook's always been kind of evil, but now they're, they're super evil. They're just allowing, uh, anti-vaccination ads and fascist ads and misinformation. And so I haven't been on there checking things in a while cause I don't want to contribute. However, I'm still connected with people on there. So, and as an artist, it's difficult to not have that, uh, platform to network. So I'm in limbo at the moment. Still my profile up, haven't checked it in a month, maybe, So I've been getting a lot of news on Twitter, which I know is also has a lot of fucking issues. And they let, you know, not neo-Nazis on there and spew their bullshit and ban people who protest against them. So that's fucked up. However, there are ways that, you know, at least folks can share news that's happening and ways to access news that one might not get elsewhere. So if you're interested, I end up sharing a lot of information on Twitter. You can follow me at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. And in Santa Cruz, at UC Santa Cruz, folks are on strike, students are on strike, and they joined in another strike. So I wanted to get to that story, if I might. Let's see here. This was shared by the SRA, which is the Socialist Rifle Association, and they have a Bay Area chapter. Uh, Black Rose Bay Area shared, uh, happening now on the UC Santa Cruz campus, striking graduate student workers and striking AFSCME workers are holding a joint rally outside the administrative building, hashtag UCSC strike. And they have some video footage there. So sending out lots of love and solidarity to the folks at UC Santa Cruz. And let's see, I believe I had another story up here as well. I will. I tend to f- highlight these and email them to myself throughout the week so I can easily check them out while I'm doing the show here. This might be under my drafts file, so bear with me. Oh, well, there's a song I might be playing at some point uh, Rita Martinson, Soldier We Love You. So it's that I heard and saw in the in cerno, cerno sir and what's this there's another article here that i am pulling up oh yes uh, there's a new exhibit in, at the whitney museum and it's you can find the article on them.us and if you happen to be in new york it's going to be up for a while and um it's a new exhibit at the Whitney Museum remembers David Wojnarowicz and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly um whose work forever changed what it means to be queer in America I've seen a lot of his work before and it's awesome so if you happen to be in New York I highly recommend uh, folks check that out all right we're gonna take a bit of a music break and we'll be back with uh, Annalise in a little bit so please do stay tuned Bye. back here Uh, please welcome Annalise Ophelian here to the show thanks so much for being here Annalise it is so great to be here thanks for having me yeah um, I was hoping we could talk about your new project looking for Leia which is now streaming on the sci-fi network and I highly recommend to everybody
1: It's super exciting. It's amazing to have it like out in the world. You know, I think particularly with documentary, we work on things for so long. Yes. And then when they actually are out there and it's not just my imaginary friend, it's like, no, no, everyone can look at this. It gets really exciting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. And also I'm a big fan of Major, which is an incredible film, which I also recommend that folks see about Miss Major. Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. So I I have a lot of questions about it. Of um, looking for Leia, and one is that it's a ser- it's a series that's on sci-fi, and I was curious um, when you were filming it originally, did you plan on it being a longer like one longer piece, and then later on decided it should be shorter vignettes, or? What was that process like?
1: Yeah, I did originally conceptualize it as just a feature doc, Mm -hmm. uh, and the idea was that I was, I wanted actually, originally, to sort of road trip around and talk with women about their fandom, and my thought, um, I sort of conceptualized it when we were uh, just starting to tour, major actually, Mm -hmm. was, um, and it was while Carrie Fisher was still alive, was that I'd talk with fans, i talk with women in fandom, and then... Figure out a way of getting a compelling enough reel to like Carrie Fisher's people oh, yeah. that she would then kind of give us an interview and sort of help Aww. us wrap things together. Mm. Um, and so that was the initial thought. And so, Looking for Leia actually was really born as a title out of this idea of a kind of like journey or a quest or a road trip to, yeah. to learn more about fandom. Uh, and when she passed, it really felt like the project passed along with her. Mm. Uh, and also, 2016, and we're all, I think, feeling it right now as well, right? It was such a dreadful year on so many levels and so it just felt like this horrible kind of you know punctuation mark on the end of an already awful awful year and my partner storm miguel Mm -hmm. a co-producer on major and also filmmaker who i know has been a guest here was the one who was just like no it's actually really this is a great time Mm -hmm. to be doing that project and like we were you know just kind of looking down the pipeline at um the time to come and realizing that actually a project about joy was going to be really important yeah. and tucking into the places where we found happiness was going to be really important so it started off as this i kind of i'm going to do a sort of ensemble doc piece this is very much my style right course course of voices telling us about a phenomenon yes. but pretty quickly after starting filming it became really obvious that um, when you first of all, fandom is just not a singular phenomenon, mm-hmm. and then of course, women is in no way a homogenous group, right. and and so it just became very difficult to think about how to get a singular story to link all of those. Mm-hmm. And I also love the series format. I think it's really audience friendly. Yes. Let's just drop in, take what we want. We don't have to get into the things that aren't as compelling to us. Mm Uh, and so, you know, I, I was on the fence up until probably this last year. And then in post it was just like, no, no, this is going to come together as a series much better.
0: Yeah. And how did you get in touch with the sci-fi network? Did they find you? Did you find them? How did that work out?
1: I mean, I found them. I'm definitely a fan. I think when you're like, this is the nice thing about doing fandom projects that we're also, you know, we are creators and we are audience members. So in that final year of post, I was definitely shopping the project around and we had a lot of really great, strong interest. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think this is one of the things about distribution is that it's, it's not actually a straight up meritocracy. There are so many incredible projects that never get distribution that yes. is not because they weren't great projects. Yes, It's cause it's a numbers game and finding that right place, right time is mm-hmm. just like, you know, it's a bit of a lightning striking situation. Yes. Um, and so I approached sci-fi with this, like, hope that it would fit well there. I love what that network does. Yes. Uh, yes. They re-sort of organized themselves a a couple, three years back Mm -hmm. as being a really fandom-centered, fandom-forward, um, ecosystem, really, of of both, like, the cable channel, but also with Sci-Fi Wire, who is, like, we're officially a Sci-Fi Wire presents. Okay. Um... And I just love the quality of the discourse that was coming from them, uh, and it took fan. They take fandom seriously. Yes, yes. while still having fun with it, and mm-hmm. so they were. Um, yeah, they were immediately responsive, which was such a great feeling. It's always nice when you make a thing, yes. and you get to connect with, um, with you know, companies like sci-fi who are like, yeah, we see exactly what you're doing here. Let's let's put this out in the world.
0: Yeah. Did you feel like you had creative control over the project? Like were were able to have final
1: say as to what went into it yeah I mean one of the nice things about um f- shopping finished work is that you're mm. actually the, the work is done got it and okay. so you it's unlike making a thing for hire unlike you know right. making a thing where you're like I'm directing under a, a production studio yes. um when you're doing independent doc you're you know the, the upside is you yeah you have all of the control you call all the shots the downside is every one person is doing the job of 12 film yes. professionals yeah <laughs> um but no sci-fi didn't ask for any changes in the format or what we delivered um they've run it exactly as oh, as i brought it to them excellent
0: what did you find uh, I would imagine that there's so much footage that you, and interviews <laughs> that you did. Like, so much. It, what, are there any particular stories or pieces that you really wanted to include and just didn't quite have a way to include oh, that you wanted just to tons. share? Just tons. Yeah. Like,
1: really, it's hard to, I it's, I ended up talking with over 100 women on camera. Wow. Um, and also non-binary folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Of that, and it's a 4K footage, so like you know, it's a 25 terabyte hard drive that's almost full. Wow! So you know, just a little wow. insight into like, the media management is its own special beast. Yeah. Um, and I transcribed all of those as well because my editing process is kind of like qualitative research and I like to go through um, hard copy transcripts. Mm-hmm. So it's almost a thousand pages of transcript. Wow. And we wow. ended up with seven episodes, 12 to 15 minutes each. Yeah. So to say that like I could have made this series a dozen different ways with entirely unique content and been in love with it, with all of it is yeah. an understatement. Yeah.
0: Are there any pieces in particular that come to mind that you wanted to share?
1: I mean, one of the stories that I really love and that we didn't find a space in the final series for, and I'm hoping actually we get to find a place somewhere. Yeah. Um, is a woman, uh, Cindy, who retired from the Air Force uh-huh. after um, you know, a, a long and storied career as a protocol officer. She went into the Air Force because she actually wanted to be an astronaut after seeing Star Wars in 1977 when oh. she was 11 years old. She reads this fan letter that she wrote to George Lucas when she was 11 mm-hmm. that she still has a copy of. Yeah. Um, and she had a Star Wars-themed retirement party from the Air Force oh. at um, the Wings Over the Rockies Museum where they have an X-Wing fighter and all kinds of, of great... And it's just this way that um, fandom plays these sort of subtle but significant roles in the ways we shape our sense of self, the ways that we're drawn into careers. Yes. Um, It becomes a kind of shared language. And, uh, and yeah, everything about her story just felt so great. And I, I love her story as well, because even though she does have a flawlessly appointed Star Wars bathroom and a screening room and with like lightsabers on the walls wow. and like all like, you know, like she certainly got those things that we recognize It's like, okay, that's a fandom commitment. Yes. I think often stories about fandom are about the like biggest, best, most, and most fandom, I think, expresses itself in much more everyday ways. Yes. Um, and they're still extraordinary. Yeah, but in this way that like she and her husband too. I've also then gotten to see on the convention circuit. Yeah, um, and it's you know it's just really like her husband has this amazing Admiral Radis cosplay, which is like the Mon Calamari from Rogue One. Uh-huh. It's like a full latex, you know, fish outfit. It's amazing. Um, like certainly they've committed a lot of stuff, but also just like in a very everyday real life kind of way. Yeah, um, so those kinds of daily fandom stories. Um, I just, yeah, I'm sitting on a ton of them, and uh, and we didn't get to get them all on screen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, I don't even know where to start in terms of the episodes, but so many were
0: just, I learned so much. And growing up, I, guess I could talk about my own Star Wars experience. I have an older brother okay. who was really into Star Wars, and he kind of came of age just as the first one was, or he was a kid when the first one came out, and then I remember watching them... Growing up, because that was what was on, and I was not necessarily forced to watch them, but encouraged strongly to watch them, or didn't really have a choice.
1: That's a nice euphemism. Yes, it's yeah. Not forced so much as I didn't have a choice. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. And could be a, could be far worse, certainly, of things that older siblings make the younger ones watch. Of course. Fair enough. Um, but I definitely like went into it. Like I, I, I like it, and I appreciate it. And then seeing this this series, I there are some pieces that folks were talking about in terms of rebelling. And it was great to see Elena Rose and a few familiar faces in the the series as well. And just the points that folks made, I think, especially coming from a queer context, too, of, you know, rebelling in order to survive and going against the odds. And there's so many themes, I think, throughout each episode, just about empowerment that really struck a chord with me that I might not have thought about on my own.
1: Oh, I'm really glad to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, certainly I think as a queer filmmaker, um, that will always be a gaze. That will always be a lens that I bring to my projects. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's nothing that's necessarily, like, standalone, inherently queer about Star Wars. Certainly there's been no on-screen significant queer representation in that franchise. Although there was supposed to be in the last one. We got got this, like, kind of kiss thing. It's true. Um, Like, undeniably, there was a kiss. Um, But I think that... One of the things that's really amazing about fandom and how fandom functions in daily life is that it is always through our subjective lens. Yeah. Um so yeah, certainly there's a queer lens on this and I can hear the places throughout all of the episodes where those if you're if you're listening to them or they resonate with you, those messages that are about resistance, rebellion and um, and empowerment really shine through. So I'm glad to hear it, it landed that way for oh, you. Oh,
0: definitely. And the the episode I think it was episode five that was about uh, Navajo translation. I mean I saw it twice, and I cried both times, and it was just so
1: beautiful. Yeah. Uh, uh, There are these episodes in post, and you know, um, you can't do documentary without building relationships with the people that you're in collaboration with and i certainly work very collaboratively as a documentarian as well like my the participants in my docs are always involved in posts like Mm -hmm. it's not a i've i am now making executive decisions about what i think the subjective reality of your life is it's very like i'm going to edit this i'm going to give it back to you and say did i get this right Mm -hmm. Uh, and then have a conversation with folks You, you build relationships um and um I'm certainly not a stranger to, like, sobbing through post-production, oh. um, often <laughs> yeah. for reasons that are, like, really difficult. Like, we lost a lot of family members making Major, and mm. it was a really challenging post-production to be in the presence of our, you know, sisters and aunties and, and people who, who were no longer with us as we were trying to finish the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and ma- and Looking for Leia was a different kind of sobbing through post-production. Yeah. Um, and it, it was a lot of happy sobbing, but I couldn't get through What We Preserve. Um, without, yeah, just having those, like, <sighs> deep choke sobs um, that came from that place, I think, of what happens when we see people, yeah, like, speaking the thing that's authentic and real for them, um, and just that description, the description that all three women had at various times talking about the premiere yes. was, um, yeah, I just felt incredibly grateful to uh, get, you know, when I first heard about that story, actually, yeah. which was when the Navajo translation, so for folks who don't know, in mm-hmm. 2013, Uh, Manny Wheeler, who's the director of the Navajo Nation Museum in Window Rock, Arizona, took on the sort of task of translating A New Hope into Diné. And it's the first major motion picture to ever be dubbed into Navajo. And if we think about the sort of cultural significance of a movie like Star Wars, um, you know, I think that when the rest of this planet is, you know, not looking at all like what it looks like now, which it really could be in like a month and a half. Star Wars is one of those things that will somehow persevere. It is an incredibly um, resilient bedrock mm-hmm. to tape your culture on. Yes, um, and and so as a language preservation effort, as a multi generational language preservation effort, it is a really powerful thing. And then also, yeah. there's a huge amount of um, connection. I think, and there was a great. Uh, uh, Art um, installation or museum piece uh, The forces with our people That's various indigenous artists And Mm -hmm. their connection to Star Wars stories That's happening actually right now At the Museum of Arizona Oh, okay Which folks can look up online Um, But we got to talk with the voice actor who did Princess Leia, uh, the voice actor who did C-3PO, who I love was voiced by a woman, because we also learned that C-3PO ends up with about 40% of the dialogue. Mm. So really, you've got a woman telling the story of of Star Wars in a lot of ways. Uh, And then um, Jen Wheeler, one of the translators of the project. So they all described the premiere... On the Navajo Nation at Window Rock, um, outdoors, and what it was like to show community the film for the first time. And it's, yeah, it's amazing to get to witness it. When I first heard the story, I just wanted to keep hearing the story. Yes, yes. So I'm so grateful that they all agreed to kind of participate and create this episode. Yeah. Because it feels really nice to just like as many different preservation points of the stories we can have. Definitely. I think that's great. Chris Taylor also wrote uh, the whole introductory chapter of. Um, how Star Wars Conquered the Universe mm. is actually about the Navajo translation. That's also a great book for folks who are interested in okay. the making of and in general Star Wars lore.
0: Oh, cool. Um was there when you were putting the, the the series on, was there How do I ask this? Um in terms of the order of the episodes, mm. what went into figuring out the order? Like I recognize like the first one, and it seems very, you know, open. <laughs> this is kind of leading into what the series will be about. I was curious as to what went into the, the, yeah, the order of the episodes.
1: Yeah. So I definitely, I wanted to create something that you could watch all the way through. And yes. this is, um, I think this is binge culture as well, right? So if you yes. watch them all the way through, you yes. committed yourself to essentially a feature film. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like 87 minutes long if mm-hmm. you just sit down and watch all of them. So I figure that's not too much to bite off. No one has to feel guilty about sitting on their sofa for that long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I wanted to set it up as well that if something isn't resonating, you can skip forward. And unlike a a plot-driven series, you're not going to miss a crucial piece of information that prohibits you from understanding future episodes. Yeah. Um, But yeah, you're right. The first episode is a sort of overview. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to touch on some of the things and themes that then we go deeper into. Um, And so that's establishing the sort of scope of this franchise, which I think often people think of as a few movies, but it's actually 43 years of transmedia creation, Mm. right? So that's that's cinema, that's television, both animated and now live action, uh, that's role-playing games, this massive expanded universe with like hundreds of novels and then all of the new novels that are being created, comic books, um, just like so many points of connection. And, you know, I think often about like Star Wars Legos. Oh yeah. (laughs) And that there's also like video games and television stories about Star Wars Legos. Um, Years ago, I was spending time with my friend's four-year-old, who his entire reference point for Star Wars were Star Wars Legos. And so for him, Anakin was a good guy. He did not know who Boba Fett was, but he knew who Jango Fett was. Uh And I was having these conversations with him, like, (laughs) we like the same thing, and we have totally different experiences. And of course, all the characters just look like Lego minifigs. Yes, yes. So this is to say, that first episode establishes scope Uh and lets us meet some folks, uh, including podcasters and fic writers. Um, and also gives us a sense of what we're going to see. Yeah. Um, and then I go, I do the, we do the way back machine a little Mm -hmm. bit. And so Mm -hmm. the second episode fanzines is really a look back. Yeah, that was,
0: oh, and I think also just that it, it hits so many points of what, especially what female fans are still going through in Mm -hmm. terms of like having to prove themselves as fans and male, you know, male fans giving them quizzes and everything. And there was like a line about how dominant culture is only assumed to be it's only assumed that the the audience is male dominated and how that still is is a case
1: yeah yeah right and that way that we just like you know, often, when I first started production on the series, my media requests, this was after The Force Awakens had come out mm-hmm. and so the media requests were like, well now that we have this character of Rey, yes. why are women suddenly into Star Wars? So oh. every conversation Goodness. with the media I had started with this like kind of gentle re-education of yes. actually yeah. <laughs> to, to use the masculine parlance yes. actually, women have always been fans yeah. of science fiction and fantasy genre, in fact are responsible for it Right, Teenage Girl created the genre mm-hmm. since Trek fandom have been integrally involved in things like fic writing yes. and fanzines and the print fanzine culture of the 70s and 80s and into the 90s before it then moved online, where it's still massive, Yeah, um, represents some of the most incredible creative output, right? Like really just intense, engaged fandom, convention culture and cosplay, mm-hmm. um, like all of these domains that we think of as being fandom yeah. were really established by um, and fueled by women women's labor, women's creative Mm -hmm. efforts. Um, But the assumption is that because we tend to universalize what we see as what exists, we get a lot of, I think, kind of skewed metrics. Yes. And then of course, after the last Jedi came out, every single press request was why are star Wars fans so toxic? And I had to, once again, go in and do sort of gentle reeducation of, you know, to, to use a Star Wars quote, your focus determines your reality. Ooh. And and so the <laughs> like if, if you're staring at things in a really specific way, you'll get your correlation and causation all kitty wumpus and make some inaccurate claims. Yeah. And I, I get to field those a lot. Yeah. Um but yeah, we look backwards at fanzines, we yes. talk then a bit about stereotypes, um and and the difference between Uh, the sort of acquisition model of fandom that like I'm collecting trivia I'm collecting toys this is the metric of my fandom Mm -hmm. versus these more creative generative forms yes yeah um, and then we get into the more kind of I think story based stuff. So droid builders that was so cool. Which I did not understand yeah. how three D printing worked yeah. when I started. Like truly couldn't get my brain around it. So, yeah. I'm very grateful to have, like in the course of filming droid builders for like the better part of a year. Mm-hmm. I'm like I I get this now. Like yeah. it really was just twisted my brain. And um, we have an inti- I think all the episodes are about representation, but we have an episode that's also dedicated really specifically. Yes. Um, yes. And then the last episode which to me is the sort of emotional coda of the series and is my favorite episode actually Mm -hmm. uh, which is how we carry on which is a group starts with a group of women including myself i stuck myself in my series talking about the sort of impact that Carrie Fisher and the Princess Leia character had um, on our lives. Yes. And then sort of culminates with the story of a woman, Barbara Lascano, who's based in Oaxaca, Mexico, Mm -hmm. who's a nonprofit development director and made a Princess Leia dress with her mom. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love that story, again, thinking about the kind of personal stories of fandom and how much they have to tell us about the really empowering, curative, preservative role fandom can play and often does play in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. there
0: the, Just the idea of how I wrote it down in, in my notes somewhere, but it was the, the idea of how something you love becomes something bigger than
1: that yeah that's it that's it But yeah. would be like you know we, we we start with the story that we love and tracy dion yes um, yes, yes is yeah. a fan yes, academic yeah. and i don't think we actually have her on camera saying this so i will credit her as being the person who i also learned so i learned so much from everybody mm-hmm. on screen in the process of making this project But Tracy talks a lot about the difference between the story and the work, Mm -hmm. right? And that the story is a little bit more meta. It's more global. It exists in our imagination. The work is The Force Awakens or The Empire Strikes Back or The Lego Movie. Mm -hmm. But the story is the thing that infuses that. And the story is what we come home with, right? Mm -hmm. When we leave the theater or when we close the book. And it's what we then have a kind of alchemical relationship with, where it interacts with us and then it becomes something unique to us and entirely new. And I I love that about fandom. And of course, that's not restricted to Star Wars. Yeah. Um, But Star Wars was a very handy assemblage point because there's just so much of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Would you mind talking a bit about your relationship with Star Wars and or when you got into it?
1: Yeah, sure. So I saw Star Wars when it came out. I'm the age that the original trilogy is my Mm -hmm. Star Wars. I think we often have this like, what's your Star Wars? Yeah, yeah. And I know sometimes that's also used as a sort of um, battering ram. And so I always feel like Mm -hmm. it's important to be able to acknowledge that like, the original trilogy is my entry point that does not make me a a better fan mm-hmm. <laughs> than people for whom like the force awakens was their entry point sure. there's a lot of reasons why we have the entry points we do um but yeah i saw star wars came out in the in the 70s when i was like 4 5 6 years old mm-hmm. and in 1978 79 it started playing in like the dollar matinees uh-huh. and I went and saw it like every single week. Like I was wow. obsessed with it. Yeah. Um, and you know, my, I had a younger brother, my younger brother's four and a half year, my bro- brother's four and a half years younger than me. We're both yes. filmmakers. He's the editor on looking for Leia*. Oh, cool. We both very much became, I think, filmmakers because we were raised by American cinema of the seventies and eighties. And yeah. we uh, share He's a huge horror fun. buff, but we yeah. really share this like deep affinity for science fiction and fantasy. Um, And so I think, in I don't think my parents would have policed my toys, Mm -hmm. but in large part, because I was such a good older sister, I got to play with a lot of these toys. Yes. And i have like, you know, lots of photographs of me opening his Star Wars toys at his birthday and his Christmas presents being like, that's a great Tauntaun. I'm going to take that now. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was like, it was an integral part of my childhood growing up. Um, And then in 1983... Like a lot of folks When it ended I was just like Yeah okay then Star Wars has ended Yeah Um, And I moved into Other geekdoms And Mm -hmm. definitely have Like multiple fandoms Like such Um, I like I'm a big Trek fan I'm a big Next generation fan Yeah Yeah. So I'd say for me It's like Buffy and and TNG Mostly media fandom I wasn't Mm -hmm. ever As much of a book reader um, as I was a television and movie watcher. Yes. I yeah. um, love the Alien franchise. And by the mm-hmm. franchise, I really mean the first two films, yeah. which is like, again, work versus story. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I have a my art team will all tell you about my xenomorph obsession, and they would all placate me by sending me cute little illustrations of xenomorphs when mm-hmm. things were tough. Um, yeah. And, and then, of course, we're in like a gorgeous moment now with everything that's happening new. I feel like all, I can happily just eat drink and sleep franchise and genre films and be totally taken care of them love comics love you know love all of those things yeah um was like you know never became like a full-fledged whovian but tom baker is my doctor and i certainly watched throughout that kind of like his era on the show Uh um and also described myself very much as a 12 year old boy my whole (laughs) life um like i went to conventions yeah i was Always was sort of adrift in the sea of fanboys, felt very just kind of personal mm-hmm. that my fandom was this just kind of quirky idiosyncrasy about my own personality. Yeah. And it wasn't until I went to Celebration, which is the Star Wars convention okay. in Anaheim in 2015 with my brother, uh-huh. um, that I first actually spent significant periods of time with other women mm-hmm. who not who like loved the same thing and were clearly there of their own volition, right? Like, yes. I even internalized these stereotypes of like, well, if a woman is in this space, <sighs> then her husband or her boyfriend is bringing her here mm-hmm. and being like, oh no, I can throw down yeah. with all of these women geeks. And conventions, of course, are great because you're in line. You're sitting on a floor in a convention hall for like five hours mm-hmm. at a time. And you build immediate family and start talking with folks. Yeah. So like as a psychologist and a documentarian, this is also like a delightful space to be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I just started talking with all these women. And I came away from that con being like, oh... Like, women actually exist in fandom spaces. I've just not had access to them. Right, right. right which is that same cognitive yeah. distortion. Like, yes. oh, well, they must have just gotten here because I'm just now seeing them. Yeah. Instead of being like, oh, no, they have always been here. And right. I've just figured out where the wellspring is. Yeah. Which was amazing. No, so that's my, that's my that's my story. Cool. <laughs> my, my big fandom story.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was
1: mentioning, I mean,
0: the interesting thing with, with siblings and as mentioning before we went on the air that my... The characters I related most to were the droids. For the my, I also grew up on the the first three, mm-hmm. or depending on how you look at the. Order. Anyway, original trilogy. Or the original thr- The original yeah. trilogy, and so C three PO and R two D two. I was like into, and I was wondering why that was, and I think maybe it was maybe because they didn't have guns. I don't know if yeah. that's a part of it. That it was more
1: this. I don't know. I'd, I'd have to really look at that, but yeah. I was just I mean, the droids have that. high level competency and mm-hmm. they're also omniscient narrators of, of, of the story, mm. um, which I find kind of great. So they hold a really interesting projective space to yes. identify with because they're not the warrior heroes and they're yes. not the villains, but they're integral to yes. the story. We don't have it without them.
0: Yeah, that's a that's good. I, I just came up with that. That's the I, top of my head. I like that. I was just you about know about much droids. more about it than I
1: do. So I <laughs> not that I haven't been like saturated that. in so much Star Wars over the last two years. Yeah, I'm really fun at trivia now because this is <laughs> all I've done. <laughs>
0: yeah. What's uh, so? What's next for you in terms of? I mean, I know there's. Yeah. What, what's what are you
1: working on? Now. Yeah, yeah So, yeah. Um, well, we get to The nice thing about um, Looking for Leia Which just premiered On the Sci-Fi mm-hmm. network And also Sci-Fi Wire And all the places Where, like, you know Sci-Fi does um, media mm-hmm. uh, On December 21st So it's a new release And it's just sort of Out there in the world Yeah um, And I will be um, Doing some conventions And getting to travel around oh, And, cool. like, connect With folks around it Which will be really fun um, And then as we're doing that My partner, Storm Miguel Flores yes. Is working on a a documentary about Sean Dorsey Dance. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, which is really exciting. And we've been... We actually were filming a bit on that this last year. Oh, cool. Um, because, you know, independent documentarians, we've only always got at least three balls in the air. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, and so I, the, I think that the plan for this year also is to just be kind of tucked into production on that. It's a really... Um, beautiful, more longitudinal process or mm-hmm. project. Um, as we're kind of like following the creation of uh Sean's newest piece. Yes, uh, and so that's that's the thing that we're working on. That's the kind of big full project.
0: Very cool. I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah, we are too. <laughs> I have such a, an appreciation for documentarians. Like, I
1: mean, I've always been a film buff,
0: and the older I get, the more I appreciate just the time and energy that goes into it. Like, mm. I, the like, countless hours the dedication and then to come up come out with a a piece that just is so informative and can resonate with so many people. And it's so also they're so educational, especially given the world that we live in, where there's so much false information being put mm. forward, especially by corporate and mainstream media and even mm. a lot of feature films that are very either, you know, pro-military and and or Exclusionary in terms of representation and who gets to tell the story and the stories that they do tell. Absolutely. And I think documentaries are—they're so powerful in how—and they also just can reach so many people. So I have an undying admiration for for folks who do that work.
1: Thank you. That's great to hear. I mean, that's certainly those you've described all the reasons why I think documentarians do this kind of work, why we do the work we do. Yeah. Oh deep cleansing breath yeah deep cleansing
0: breath yeah you. feel well in the tank yeah are you in in touch with are you still in touch with many of the folks that you worked with yeah. on the film Yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, again, one of the things that's great about, I think, documentary work um, is that you do build relationships. It's very much about transfer of trust. People are giving you their stories, right? Um, And and I feel like, you know, we talk about the things that are great about documentary. I think one of the things that's not so great about documentary is that, like so many things in this world at its heart, it, it can be a really inherently colonial process. Right In which people with more resources and right. more access go right. into communities generally with less resource or less access. Yes. And then sort of, record or take stories, which are natural resources, right? Like it's strip mining the natural resources from a community, removing them from that community, Mm -hmm. processing them outside of that community, and then distributing them within groups that have different kinds of, um, like more power, more access. Yeah. Uh, And I think we see that over and over. I think like, if you look at, you know, the, we're we're coming up on Sundance season and I always think about who the subjects of Sundance Mm -hmm. documentaries are versus who those audiences look like. Right. Right. So uh, one of the reasons why I make, Documentary is because I think it is one of the most direct ways for marginalized folks, in particular, to have direct control over their narrative. Mm-hmm. Because we are without the varnish of fiction, sharing stories. Yes, uh, nonfiction stories have as much to tell us in terms of um, you know allegory and universality and all of the things as yeah. fiction does. Um, But that's a different, you have to really be purposeful with Mm -hmm. that process. And so for me, the way that process is purposeful is collaboration. Yes. uh, And making, and I know there are some, I think it's decreased. I think more folks work like this actually, but there's often documentarians that just look at me with like horror in their eyes. Like you can't let the subjects look at themselves. You can't give anybody like, you know, control over the edit. Like you have to do that because they will somehow introduce bias into it. Mm. As if somehow my creative lens is not huh. in and of itself inherently biased. Right. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I just can't imagine working that way. Um, so I'm, I'm so grateful for the review process um, and for the collaboration that happens in the review process. And it's always a, it's a great process. Like it's, I can't imagine not doing it, but you build relationships doing that process. Cause it means by the time I've got final cut, I've also had some really great conversations with folks about, you know, okay. This is what you told me. Mm-hmm. This is how I took our hour long conversation and got it down to like three and a half minutes on screen. Yeah, oh yeah. Knowing that it does not summate your experience, does it get the part right? Does it fit in the context? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's 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 a it's a gift. It's an incredible gift that people give you when they not just share their stories with you, but then collaborate with you to make sure those stories are are making it to screen in a way that feels authentic.
0: Yeah, and I think mean, that was that was a piece of major, yeah. which was just showed so much like history that I think a lot of us queer folks, trans folks don't necessarily have access to or didn't,
1: didn't really learn about. Absolutely. Well, and those are our teachers, right? I mean like majored, but majored like that working on that film was like, it absolutely took me to school. Mm -hmm. Uh, And on major, you know, we interviewed, I think it's 20, 20 f- folks, 21 community members are on screen in addition to Miss Major yes. as we sort of like follow her through different portions of, of kind of her like life and, and just the way she operates in the world which is, you know, stunning and amazing. Um, but we also worked with the community advisory board mm-hmm. because um, like I'm a white, cis, queer woman mm-hmm. uh, and was working well outside of my lane mm-hmm. in making that film. Um, you know, Storm is Latinx and trans and is still not a black trans woman, mm-hmm. right? Like not, not qualified is the word I'm going to use. Mm -hmm. Like neither of us are qualified to, to helm that story without significant leadership from the communities we're making it about. Right. Um, and major invited us, invited me to that project, Mm -hmm. which I think I maybe said yes to without quite appreciating the responsibility that comes along with that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we had a community advisory board in addition to participant review process Mm -hmm. that was there watching various cuts of the film and giving us feedback on accountability. Um, and making sure, and community accountability, and making sure that we were really, like, yeah, bringing, bringing that leadership in at levels where it could be making substantive story yeah changes as well. And that whole process, again, was like a gift. And it's the way I wish that more media got made. And, you know, of course, these are paid folks. Like, it's not just like you invite folks to mm-hmm. the table, but you pay folks yes. to come to the table because they are bringing really significant skills and knowledge. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm grateful. I've done that project, that process on everything I've ever worked on, and it has always left me with just a sense of like, ah, I'd be so stressed out (laughs) if that that was not a a part of it.
0: And it's just a a reminder that collaboration makes everything better. Like the more voices you have, the more information, the more knowledge, especially putting pieces together, like with with film. I've done some... Separate, but I've done like background and extra work on film and TV. I've is, seen
1: you. I've seen you on camera. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's, it's a whole other. It's a whole other thing. And one thing that, regardless of what is being made, is that re- re- every time I'm on set, I'm re- reminded of between the crew and the cast and the, the catering and the, the clothing and makeup and like, th- the production team. How many people together working can make something really incredible, and That's how, amazing. it's just. A Reminder that it can take so many people to make something beautiful and the more people you have involved
1: Yeah Which makes it extra ironic. I think that we tend to localize filmmaking in um, the image of the director. yes, which is demographically (gasps) Excuse me while I groan out of the mic Ah! Yeah, (laughs) groan out of the mic. Especially because this is going to like statistically speaking be a Cishat white dude who is credited with um you know making the film happen and uh-huh. like as a film director i can tell you i am i often feel like i am the least important person <laughs> in <laughs> in the actual creation of the film on a narrative like i like to sing the the praises of the ad yeah like let me tell you who makes a film yeah Yeah. the ad yes and yes. the second ad which yeah. is actually the job i always want on narratives where i'm just uh-huh. like you know what you're not gonna what's not gonna happen like talking to actors is great, but if you don't have a call sheet, nothing's getting done. Right? If you don't have transportation, nothing's yes. getting done. You yeah. don't have like someone looking out for the health health, safety and well-being of every person on that set, nothing's getting done. Yeah. Um and and so I do think that by creating this idol worship of the central director as auteur, yeah. we absolutely dismiss the sheer number of people that are required to make a film happen the way in which the majority of those jobs are union jobs they're they're like very much working class jobs yes um that where you see all of your representation in a crew is going to be below the line Mm -hmm. um although i will still say as a camera operator like grip and electric and folks who run cameras this is still very much a boys club yes it is very yes it is yeah when i work with like you know i don't work with many cis men at all on crew um, like usually if I'm in a location where I need a sound person, yeah. like it's hard to get sound people that are not cis dudes. Yeah. Um, although certainly I have plenty of people that are not cis dudes that I've worked with yeah. in that role. Yeah. But, um, yeah, my crews are not that. And in New York, actually, my crew and I were all talking and it was like all women and Storm Miguel, who is, uh-huh. who is location sound. Yeah. Hard. yeah. Um, And we were asking, like, what's this like? What's the process of making a a film like when the crew looks like this? And it was, like, predominantly POC, very trans, Mm -hmm. like, all women. Yeah. And the consensus was, like, I have the ability to ask questions Mm. and not know here. Mm -hmm. Because in other settings, if I slip up in the tiniest, I get fired. Or I'm undermined, (sighs) or no one will give me anything to do other than, like, wrap cables. Because there's such a sort of distrust and and the sense of like, you're not valid to be here. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah. So when we, when we locate filmmaking as being a director's medium exclusively, I think we really lose what it takes. And then for folks like documentarians, this has real implications for budgeting because of course you do need scads of people to get a film made right? and you need to pay those scads of people. I'm someone who pays the folks on my crew. Yes. Um, I, you don't ask people to work for free it just doesn't work and when you're i mean like I, mean, I know there's lots of folks who do and i think it's really shoddy and so when you're employing that many people yeah um which is going to become even more of an issue for independent non-union filmmakers now that AB5 is passed in California right mm-hmm. um Because independent contractors have been incredibly limited. Yeah. Um, When you look at film funding, and film funding is like, yeah, we'll give you five thousand dollars to make your thing, and then you're going to spend like you know three months of your life reporting on it. (laughs) Um, That money's not enough to actually get things made, and we don't have the infrastructure. But the myth of like it just takes one person with a good idea to make a film, I think keeps people locked in those ideas.
0: Yeah, and when you mentioned the the demographics of the crew, that reminded me of the episode of this in the series about the going to the conventions and yeah. having people feel like they seeing feeling like they're represented or seeing other folks who look like them and how visibility can really be everything yeah and feeling like one belongs in a place
1: it's it though and you know when i was growing up i adored making of documentaries, like it still might be my favorite genre, like f- documentaries about the process of making a film yeah. are my favorite. Oh yeah. But yeah. definitely as a kid and we internalize this all the time, right. Without really thinking of it. Mm-hmm. Um, When I watched um, empire of dreams when I watched all of those documentaries about the making of like the star Wars films, for instance, yeah. I never saw anyone who looked like me. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's only going to be compounded for like folks of color for trans folks. Mm-hmm. Right. There's definitely no women on any of those sets particularly in leadership roles if mm-hmm. i am going to see someone it's going to be somebody who's like scooting across in the background bringing someone a like you know drink or a towel uh, yeah. and you internalize those messages like yes. what am i allowed to be right and if and so i do think representation isn't just like inspiration i think it's fundamentally permission to exist yes because if we don't see ourselves there we can't imagine ourselves existing in that world
0: yeah or showing up as our full selves like Absolutely. on set oftentimes i'm and again, the whole thing of like who's queer or trans, like not everyone is visibly queer and trans. Mm-hmm. Like folks might meet, meet me and not know I'm trans unless I have like a water bottle with a trans sticker on it <laughs> or I introduce myself and it's a second thing I say. Right. However, I can look around and like if I don't see, oftentimes I don't see other queer or trans people on set. So there's this very, I don't, I don't know where I'm going with this exactly, but it's just uh, if I do, there are times I have been on set and I've, gravitated towards other folks who are and how much more comfortable i've noticed i feel when that's the case
1: well and that's very much queer and trans like that's our that's i think our cultural heritage Mm -hmm. is that it's we are communities based on seeking each other out in secret and clocking each other Mm -hmm. and finding like secret codes (laughs) and like signals and ways that we could find each other to stay safe yes yes um and like that often that safety is like capital S safety, like we're trying to keep ourselves from being killed. Um, but that often it's safety in terms of just like, can I show up here? Do I have to be hypervigilant or can I relax a bit? Right. Right. Um, yeah. And film sets are absolutely places like that. And, and visible queerness, um, is yeah. One set of problems and, and also associated, like easier to find each other out. Um, but I think that, yeah, the things that are harder to show up and recognize are a different set of problems. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, feel that. Oh, yeah. I know, deep breath. We're having like some therapy here. I like it. Oh. Like deep breaths, the like, yeah.
0: deep thoughts. Yeah, I, I tend to take a lot of deep breaths here on the show. I like it. So yeah. Um, let's see. Are there other questions I have? Is there anything else you would like to uh share at the moment? Or
1: I think that, you know, one of the things that came up for me a lot as yeah. I was working on looking for Leia. And certainly because we are um, living in a time where current events are as volatile as they are. And this is not to say that the United States wasn't built on this kind of volatility, yep. right? There are communities that have been in exactly this state of panic every then. waking moment of every yep. every day. Yeah. Um, and then there are these moments like the last three and a half years, three years, where we've been in an even broader sort of sense of peril and panic. Yes. Um, that these times often make me think about what communities do to survive. Yes. And how we continue thriving in the face of, like, overwhelming adversity and and situations that we are genuinely powerless Mm -hmm. um, to. Which, again, certain communities in this country, that's just, like, the nonstop, the norm. norm. And for other folks, it's like, oh, I'm feeling this for the first time. Right, right. And I think that for all of those points... Um, one of the answers for me is often tapping into the power of storytelling, the power of sharing a collective love of a thing, mm-hmm. um, and the ways in which escapism and frivolity mm-hmm. can be deeply therapeutic and yes. don't cancel out Right. the ways in which we maintain engagement with the stuff that is real. Um, and, and so like, I know for myself, the closest period to this in my life, um, that I can think of the same embodiment of peril and panic that I'm having right now is the, um, is like the period between 1989 and 1993. Um, when I was in the women's caucus of act up and there was this just sense of, Mm. um, yeah, like this, this genuine sense of peril with the speed, with which community members were dying in a, um, really violent and terrible way. And the panic, um, that came up around that and also the ways in which we fought so hard and the ways we needed a break because the burnout was really real. Yes, um, yes. And I also think about the role that like Star Trek The Next Generation played in my life during oh, that yeah. period and yeah. how even, and like, this is a thing I would watch with like, you know, my roommates who were also like in ACT UP and Queer Nation, mm-hmm. we were all out there just kind of like laying our bodies down, you know, on the pavement. Yeah but really seeking out those areas where we'd come together also and then just geek out over a thing. Yeah, And that geek space was curative and it gave us space to breathe and a reminder of what we're fighting for. Yeah, And so I think sometimes we think about geekdom as being frivolous or silly. And my hope in these stories is that it shows us the ways that connection to joy and attachment to um, the messages of story yeah. and then the creativity that we bring ourselves um, to it with are actually really necessary. They're as necessary as direct action. They're as necessary as like, you know, even the the really baseline stuff like voting. Um, but that they're also an int- intrinsic part of the way that we not just survive but thrive yeah. in this world.
0: Yeah. It's a way folks find each other. And then also one can sometimes tell more with fiction than with uh nonfiction and express more, I think. And so and yeah. perhaps reach more people with more universal messages.
1: Yeah, that's it. It's a, it's a, it's a shared language and it's also this kind of like opportunity, I think. Uh, and so look, I'm really grateful that, um, we found our home on sci-fi because yeah. I think that's also like a space that really does appreciate, um, the, the value of storytelling yes. and the value of fandom. Um, and that I know is one of the things that's going to carry me through this next year as we also all continue to like dig in and fight and do the things we need to, to get our ourselves and our neighbors and our loved ones free.
0: Yeah a beautiful note to end on is there anything else you'd like to promote or share before we wrap up
1: well certainly Like, folks should check yeah. out Looking for Leia yeah. now that I feel like we've talked about it yes, like, give, yourself, of course, yes. you know, give yourself 86 minutes of geeky time to sit yes. down and listen to some folks um, you can find it on sci-fi.com uh, sci-fi wire their YouTube channel if you are a cable subscriber which like for instance I am not <laughs> mm-hmm. but you can go to um, sci-fi VOD it's just all over the place um, sci-fi.com slash looking for Leia is where you find it and also folks who want to connect with us on social, can do so. We're yes. at Looking for Leia on Twitter, at Looking for Leia series on Instagram, we're on Facebook. Um, reach out with your feelings it's always lovely to be able to connect with folks
0: yes and where can folks
1: um, find Major the film Uh, the Major film can be found both on Amazon Prime and on Vimeo Okay, you can go to Mm missmajorfilm.com for all of those links Um, of particular interest to us is the folks at universities and schools that want to be able to share it you know Miss Major taught us and now she's teaching tons of students around the globe by being Mm -hmm. presented in classrooms and so if you or someone that you know is university affiliated and you want to bring major to your library, go to the website, missmajorfilm.com, um, and click on education and get your school to bring her so that she yes. is like essentially teaching all of us, um, in as many of those settings as possible. Excellent. Cool. And she's in Arkansas now. Yes? She's in Arkansas. Yeah. Um, she is, uh, has started a nonprofit called house of Gigi's, mm-hmm. which, um, Miss Major is on Twitter, I am Miss Major. Mm-hmm. Is that it? I think it's I am so. Miss Major. Yeah. Um and House of Gigi's is linked yeah. to her through there. They okay. are an exquisite retreat, mm-hmm. um, leadership and retreat building organization for trans women of color throughout the regional southeast. Mm-hmm. Um and what she's doing there is amazing. And if folks find themselves with like extra support they want to put in a direction, that's a really yes. good place to do it. Yes. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me and letting me geek out with you.
0: I appreciate that. Absolutely. We'll take a bit of a music break and then we'll be back with the rest of the show in a bit. Stay tuned. Then back to the program wrapping up with a few more pieces of information before we go and we'll be back again next week uh, The show is on every Friday from noon to two please do check out the archive we go I've been doing the show now for a little over six years the archive goes back about five years and you can find that at mutinyradio.fm the podcast archive for the weekly review also please do check out many other shows here at the station at mutinyradio.fm we've got shows here every day of the week if you're interested in doing a show here of your own, their spaces are available for rentals. So you get two hours a week to do any type of program you'd like, you pay monthly dues, and then you get to have a show here. It's pretty awesome. The space is also available for rentals for one-time shows. If you wanted to do music or comedy, spoken word, poetry, anything, it's up to you. So if you'd like, please get in touch with Pam, who's the station director. Again, mutinyradio.fm. If you'd like to support this show in particular, we have a Patreon that's up that I need to adjust a little bit. It's uh, patreon.com forward slash weeklyrev. All the funds help go to help me pay the dues here for this space rental, so it would be greatly appreciated if folks are able to. And or please do help spread the word about this show. Happy to reach as many listeners as possible. If you're interested in any of the news items, uh, please follow me on Twitter at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. And also another uh, follow moms for housing, and that's at moms, the number for housing. And again, the press conference is happening today at 2 p.m. at 2928 Magnolia Street in Oakland. And you can also text save mom's house to 510 7810 to get on the rapid response text alert system. Again, the number is 510 800 7810 and text Save Mom's House. You can also follow them on Twitter at moms the number four housing. Okay. I believe that is it for today. Also, just so much happening in the world. Uh, Yeah. Thanks to Annalise Affilian for coming in, and please do check out Looking for Leia, which is streaming now on the Sci-Fi Network, Sci-Fi Wire, and also Major the Film. Both really great documentaries, heartfelt Meaningful, beautifully done. And thanks to you, the listener, for listening in. And I don't really have a recurring words that I sign out with. Just uh, but a big thank you to folks out there who are being kind to one another. <sighs> cool. All right. And the music we played, again, was the record Marquis Moon from Television. We played the entire album throughout the show. So I'm going to go right into the breaker for Mutiny Radio. Thanks again so much for listening, and we'll be back again next week.
2: Radio and get ready for 76 comments from all over the U.S. It's
0: your boy CFO here, here to let you know that the...
3: That's right, it's Bug House Square. It's um Tuesday at six o'clock. I have uh, I have fulfilled all my obligations so far today.
4: Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen that vigilante man? I've been here His name all over the land Hey, this
3: week on Bug House Square uh, It's uh, it's the last Tuesday of uh, Black History Month And um, I'm, I'm trying I'm, I'm, I got uh, uh, a lot of black artists I've got uh, some white artists Who uh, are covering black artists' songs I got some black artists That are covering white artists' songs So um, stuff like that And uh I don't know if I got any contributors. Uh I may dig something up. I don't think I got any anything like absolute fresh. Got some apples, man. Not like uh highly perishable. Not any like shrimp.
4: No shrimp. Good time away. sleeping in some good warm place. Hey come along and we give him a little race that's a vigilante man preacher Casey was just a working
3: man ooh and I don't do this too and often come back in again but we've got the first week of March yeah. is comedy fest so if you live in town come and check it out there are tickets available free I know it's like I don't know it's like Roll the dice, man. Just get get one of them. Pick one. I don't know who any of these people are either. So if do that, and then if you come through the uh, website, um, please uh, kick in a little for the GoFundMe. We're just we're super struggling now. We're uh, we've, we're working through the things. It's all it's all. Um, we're not embezzling this money. This is like uh, this, is, this is yeah. This is um, life support system
4: door, got gun in his hand, his brother and sister, down. I ran round from town to town, I ran around from town town, and they herded oh us around God. like a wild Have you...
2: But I'm open to persuasion Floor, cheek, to cheek but with a laugh, really move. I could really dance, really dance, really dance, really dance. really really move, really, move, really move. Now if I can feel the sun, my eyes and the rain on my face, why can't I? Don't wait goodnight well, no, Just make love With affection Sing me another love song But well, this time with a little dedication Sing it, sing it, sing it, sing it You know that's what I like oh, ooh. Once more with the feeling Sing it, sing it, sing it. You know that's what I like. Lover, ooh, ooh. Once more with a feeling. Sing me another love song, but this time with a little dedication. Sing it, sing it, sing it, sing it. Sing it. You know that's what I like. Lover, With affection. Ooh, ooh. It's with the sea.
4: And I'll move the mountain if he wants them out. That's so it oh, yeah. Because I'll do right now, the impossible will take a. shakes the bow, he moves me with a smile, the difficult Oh.
5: i Somebody that just loves to learn and another child grows up to be somebody you just love to burn. you still checking.